0: Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Michael Hasselberg, Chief Digital Health Officer at University of Rochester Medical Center. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this segment, Hasselberg talks about URMC's groundbreaking initiative to offer telehealth visits in banks, making care more accessible in rural communities. He also shares insights on how his team is hoping to leverage generative AI to improve efficiency in patient care, the benefits and challenges that come with implementing large language models, and why he believes it's so important to focus on nursing innovation. Thanks for uh, putting aside time. I appreciate it. I know it's it's busy. It's always busy, but you no, know, today has
1: been like a, a media day for me. We had a big announcement that came out. We have this really novel, innovative project where we've put virtual care stations in banks in rural communities. And we're doing it uh, in partnership with two startup companies, a global telecommunications company, and a bank. So the first health system in the country to do primary care in a bank. So I'm getting a lot of media reaching out interested in that. So it's been a media day.
0: Yeah, that sounds really interesting.
1: (laughs) It is. There's rationale behind all of it, and we're really excited about it.
0: Okay. Yeah, actually, do you mind just telling me a little bit more about that and how that came about?
1: Yeah. So, you know, during the pandemic, like every health system in the country, we had to turn on telehealth overnight, of course. And as the public health emergency was Discussions were started that it was going to be lifted and we were concerned that telemedicine reimbursement would you know, go back to pre-COVID states, we did a deep dive in our data and found where we were making the biggest impact was with our Medicaid uh, patient population, especially out in the rural communities. Um, But there was a caveat to that data that in the rural communities, our patients were only engaging in audio only. They weren't engaging in video you know, initially we thought it was a broadband issue, but it, it wasn't a broadband issue. We The infrastructure was there, it was a poverty issue. Patients couldn't afford the broadband internet in their home. So the only, only access they had to telemedicine was the data plans on their cell phones. And yeah. video is a very data intensive uh, feed and folks didn't want to use their data plans up for that. And we knew that audio only reimbursement was going to go away. So we had to kind of think through where could we set up access points in these rural communities to continue providing services to these patients where we could do video. And there's been a lot of retailers, of course, that have tried to do this, but You know, retailers struggle with kind of the financial ROI of doing this because they calculate per square footage how much product they have to sell. And, you know, to take up any of that product selling space to deliver healthcare, it's really hard to get the volumes that you would need to offset that product loss. And so we were back to the drawing board of going, like, okay, well, what are in these communities, um, these rural communities? You know, you've got a traffic light, you've got a dollar store, and you've got a bank. And we did a deeper dive into the banking industry, you know, their struggles from a brick and mortar standpoint, from their own digital transformation. And in these small rural communities, you'd still need a brick and mortar bank because the small businesses drop off their deposits there on a daily basis. So banks are trying to reinvent themselves to figure out how we can get more foot traffic back to the bank locations. And you know one of the nice things about banks is they're set up in a branch distribution model so it's scalable as a health system i only have to negotiate with one bank and potentially have access to all their branches versus doing this in libraries or barbershops or community centers they're all one-offs. I have to negotiate with each library and that's not scalable. And so we figured out which bank had the largest market penetration. And we approached the bank and said, hey, we would love to provide healthcare in your in your banks. And they mm-hmm. love the idea and they've got the real estate that they're you know not using. They're not selling product. It's a trusted location in these communities. Yeah. Patients- trust the banks, they know the bank tellers, so, yeah, we partnered with a publicly traded community bank called Five Star. Um, mm-hmm. We then partnered with Higgy Health, which makes biometric stations you see at Walmarts and Rite Aids and CVSs. We, we partnered with Higgy. We partnered with our on-demand telemedicine software platform provider, which is DexCare. We integrated mm-hmm. DexCare into the Higgy stations, which before you could you could only get biometrics at those stations. Now you yeah. can get telemedicine at those stations and get the biometrics. And then we partnered with Verizon to overlay the connectivity um, to those stations. So we've got this unique partnership with Verizon, Higgy, Dexcare, Five Star Banks. And we've now got these virtual care stations and three rural banks and uh, our primary care providers will provide the services at, at those locations with no need mm. for a healthcare provider on the other end.
0: Okay. So they'll just have, like, kind of a kiosk or setup. Okay. Yep.
1: And yep. in, in a private room. The banks did construction to set up a private space that these stations sit in and uh, patients can arrive. It's not scheduled. It's really on-demand, urgent kind of care services. You can also get all your biometrics uh, collected at the station and get care journeys presented back to you for your biometrics. And you know that data also comes back to us at the health system for our primary care providers to see. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we're we're excited. We think that this may help solve some of the rural access problems. And then at the same time, we hope to address financial insecurity. You know, if a patient screens positive for financial insecurity on the social determinants of health questions, we can refer (laughs) those patients right to one of the financial advisors in the bank. And so that way, you know, our hope is we can address physical and financial wellness at the same time.
0: Wow. That's a really interesting idea. You see a lot of potential there for win-win or win-win-win, but that's very cool and kind of interesting that, you know, I had contact you to talk about, you know, vibe and things like that. So this is really, it kind of teased that up nicely because, you know, you're talking about taking things that exist and finding ways to solve problems. That's very interesting. I like that.
1: Yeah, that's where that's where real innovation is, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's like the kind of aha moment with this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we've actually had several health systems already reach out to us. They want to replicate this into their communities. They're like, this just makes sense. There's a Mm -hmm. bank in every rural town on Main Street, right by the traffic lights. People trust the bank. You're not fighting with selling retail products like, you know, the retailers are struggling with. This just makes sense. So. We don't know patients will feel comfortable getting healthcare at a bank, but you know we're we're gonna try it. We're gonna see.
0: Yeah, so that's really cool. Well, I, I did want to talk about what you're gonna be presenting, and I noticed that it, it's part of Nurses at Vibe, which is really great to see because there are so many nurses. We know the problems, and it there sometimes isn't as much attention or coverage on that. So that's that's really great to see. But yeah, can you talk about like, you know, what you're gonna be discussing and, and why it's of interest to you?
1: Yeah. Well, first I'm a nurse by background. And so I was really mm-hmm. excited to see Five and Health make an investment and in really trying to support nurses to come to their conferences, really start to draw attention to how, you know, technology can make the lives of nurses better. So that was really exciting. And so they had reached out and invited me to join like this inaugural nurse initiative that they had. And I said, hey, yeah, 100% absolutely. Where I'm most excited, and I've, I've talked about this in, in other spaces, is, is just where we are right now with artificial intelligence and just mm-hmm. where we are with generative AI and these huge foundation models and you know, we have a lot of experience at the University of Rochester and our and in our innovation team for over a year now testing these new AI models. And, you know, we're blown away with the potential of what this technology can do. And, and especially on the non-patient facing side, on that administrative burden side. And things that we're focused on and working on at Rochester is things like triaging patient messages. Right now we have nurses that do that. Like that is the job of the nurse is to manage a message pool and triage that message to the appropriate person. Like that is, in my opinion, that is using a nurse at its lowest scope of practice. And and it's not super rewarding for, for a nurse to do that. We've already built a model, well, we built off of GPT-4 a tool that can triage those messages as well, if not better than that human nurse, and is much more efficient. And so, you know, that is an example. You know, we're spending a lot of time with ambient documentation uh, tools and technology, and that is super powerful and and super uh, exciting for not only my nurses, but the providers in my system. And, you know, we've been dabbling or piloting virtual nursing for a little while now, Early virtual nursing models were essentially telesitting type models. The, the yeah. idea of using video conferencing technology to have a, a central nurse watching, let's say, 20 rooms and capturing patients that may be at risk for falling, and then calling down to the floor and saying, "Hey, go down to that room." You know, we've been doing that uh, for some time, but you know, now the progression that we're seeing with computer vision, like that is really, really exciting. And so you you have these cameras in hospital rooms already, you have other sensors in these rooms, overlaying AI on top of it, that tele model, for example, you could have, you know, one nurse watching 200 rooms and the AI does the first read and says, hey, look at that camera because I'm seeing something concerning. You know, that is, is something that we're interested in and we're excited about. And, you know, even kind of simple things. So you, you think about like my OR nurses, some of the things that they have to document It's it's crazy like they, they have to document when everybody in that room washed their hands and what time they washed their hands and what time did the patient roll in and what time did the first cut happen, you know again. That's utilizing the nurse at the lowest scope of their practice. Yes. That data that they're entering into the computer isn't consistent because it's a human entering that data. So, oftentimes, yeah. there's noise in that data. So, then trying to use that data for modeling down the road is very difficult. That is something that AI can fix right now. Like computer mm-hmm. vision can see when people wash their hands and timestamp that and then consistently put that data into the record the same way every single time that allows my nurse to do the actual patient care that they went to school for and that they they wanted to do. And then it also structures my data in a way that I can develop even further models that may be able to both support the clinicians, but maybe even in the future predict patient outcomes. And so like, I think, that is where I am pretty bullish and pretty excited on right now. And it's probably the first time in my career thus far that I am hopeful that technology will actually make the lives of our clinicians better. Like When I think back of all the other technology we've introduced into healthcare, always was good intention that was going to make the lives of clinicians better, but yeah most have not been able to to live up to those expectations and you know my our early ex- experiments and pilots with these new ai tools gets me to really think yes you know we'll be able to really transform the lives of of our workforce
0: yeah it's really powerful, just you know, hearing you say that because we've heard so many people talk about how it has not made things easier, and that is certainly not what the intention was, but that's been the reality. So that's that's very very telling.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Now there are still. A lot of stuff we have to work through. And there's, there's (laughs) nuances to this and a lot of things that we don't understand. Like a lot of these models are are essentially a black box. Like we don't really know, you know, how they're coming up with the outcomes that they're coming up with. And, you know, these models, which, you know, everyone talks about, you know, do fabricate things or hallucinate and which can, you know, have detrimental outcomes. And so, you know, we're really trying to kind of understand that and you know we're we're already seeing with some of our pilots where we're running models outside of a, a production environment where we're seeing the models starting to, to degrade over time and mm-hmm. things get caught in the the filters that weren't getting caught in the the models filters earlier and so. You know, really understanding the safety and trust around these models is taking a lot of effort. And we want to make sure we get that right before we deploy these out in production at large scale. And so we're spending a lot of time on that, thinking through ethical concerns. So, you know, we have ethicists that work on our team um, that, you know, are helping us kind of think through those types of implications, and then introducing this into workflows. This is also, I think, a case where the technology is almost in a lot of ways the easy part. The hard part is how do I fit these into my Mm -hmm. current operational workflows? How do I get the cultural buy-in to trust this kind of co-pilot AI next to you that's that's eager to learn and eager to help out? Um, All of those things we're still working through.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the ways you are addressing the the buy-in factor? Because like we said, there are trust concerns, of course.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, the things that we're targeting are some like low-hanging fruit things where if if Mm -hmm. the model gets it wrong the consequences are not as significant. So example, like using uh, generative AI to help generate a note or a response back to a patient. You know, you still have that human that is looking at it, double checking it and approving mm-hmm. it before it goes out. And that's getting my clinicians really, really excited because writing a letter back to a patient. It's it's time consuming, and you know to have the AI take the first draft at it, and then and then my clinicians read through, and go, oh my god, that, that's really really good. And in some ways, the AI is even more empathetic because it the clinician mm-hmm. doesn't have the time. Uh, you know yeah. they're they're so busy and trying to get it. The AI will actually write a response that has empathy in it. And it's, Mm. and my clinicians actually really like that. Um, So like that is helping to get the buy-in. And if I, if I can get wins there, then we can actually start thinking about more complex or even maybe more higher risk applications for the AI. But again, um, that's kind of been our approach is what's the low hanging fruit where you still have the clinician in the loop where this will actually remove something off the clinician's plate um, mm-hmm. or help them they otherwise probably didn't really want to do because they really wanted to be with the patient. And so that's been helping us get buy-in. And then, you know, also trying to have transparency, you know, as we think as a system level about what our AI governance looks like and who sits on that and and having representation from ethics on that is, you know, I think really, really helpful because, as clinicians you know we hold ethics very strongly and so to you know have that type of representation on our governance and know that we have ethicists that are looking at that i think that also helps with getting buy in with the clinicians
0: yeah yeah it's really interesting to me how the discussions have have evolved in the past year i mean a year ago there were still we were still kind of in that excitement phase over things like chat gpt but It seems like the conversations are really going, they're evolving in a good way. It seems like it's taking a good direction, if that makes sense.
1: It is. And, you know, I think the biggest win over the last year, I mean, I was one of the ones that, you know, when when I first played with this technology a year ago, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. This is yeah. is going to be really transformative. And reflecting on the past year, we're still in a lot of experimentation and pilots and not have kind of broad transformative deployment yet. But where it's been, I think, biggest transformation for my health system is it's got everybody talking about data and the importance mm-hmm. of data. And I think back to a year and a half ago, two years ago, getting buy-in from the entire system that... Having a a robust data governance and data structure and and the importance of that, it was hard to get people bought into that because we were just so busy and everything else. But now everybody's talking about AI and that is to really have those discussions around what does our enterprise data warehouse look like? What about privacy and security and risks and how do we set up the appropriate governance structure? It's like like we're now making the investments on the data side, and that's going to be key. If health systems really want to move to being value-based, personalized, patient-centered, you have to have really good data to drive that. And so- that to me has been the biggest win of, of generative AI is just kind of forcing systems to really start to invest on the data side of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I think and hope that will be kind of reflected as you know we, we come across like the conference season and what those what the discussions sound like.
1: Yeah, yeah, it will. It will be interesting with the mm-hmm. upcoming conference season. We've had a lot over the last year. of yeah. I feel like every panel's been generative AI. It's almost like you have generative AI fatigue at this point. Yeah, uh, right. I, I think a lot of us uh, feel that way. So I, I am going to be really interested, you know, what, what everyone's discussing, you know, coming into the, the spring here. Yeah. But again, for me, from the Vive standpoint, I am really, really excited about, you know, having a nursing component to it and, we've had a nursing shortage for as long as I've been in the profession. It's just gotten an exacerbated and, and worse and to highlight nursing innovation and to highlight that nurses are on the forefront of disrupting and transforming healthcare um, and getting, giving nurses the opportunity to kind of even see what's happening outside of, yeah. you know, their nursing discipline, I think is, is, is going to be huge because Nurses are really at the heart of healthcare. They are the true drivers of healthcare. And so we need nurses to be kind of leading the way. And so I'm excited that Five is making that investment. Uh, I hope other organizations continue to do the same.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.